Welcome to the Begin Again with Henna podcast. You're not meant to do life alone, so let's hang out and candidly talk mental health, self-kindness, TV shows, lifestyle, and whatever else is on your mind. Life is a team sport, and every day is a new opportunity to begin again. guys what's up welcome to episode three we made it i'm so proud of myself for this consistency even though i'm bringing this out to you a day late because i was dilly dallying but we're still doing the dang thing so thank you so much for being here if you're a returning listener i appreciate you i'm grateful for you and i'm so excited to keep building this community um little disclaimer i low-key feel low serotonin vibes right now in my brain all of a sudden. I don't know why. I've had a good day. Just, you know, it happens sometimes, whatever, but we're making it happen anyway. So the first thing that I want to talk about today is healing our relationship with food. I found that, see, it's it's been so up and down for me. A long time ago, several years ago, I was very intentional about ingesting my food. It was very much a meditative practice to me, especially drinking tea because it's so important to be present with the materials. Is materials the right word? I don't know. With the substances. Is substances the right word? I don't know. Whatever. Let's keep going. With food that is nourishing you and giving you life. We are literally heaps of food. You are what you eat. And if all you eat are hot Cheetos and wine, then you're literally a heap of hot Cheetos and wine. But I find that nowadays it's very difficult for me to eat a meal without watching TV or without some kind of screen time. And I feel like it's led to me eating much more than I need to. And I'm so disconnected with eating practice and I find that I just gain more weight because I'm being unintentional and I'm present with my food. Plus, it's very much a mindful practice to eat slowly. I feel like I used to be very spiritual and I'm slowly trying to get myself back into it. Meditation can be really difficult for me nowadays because I easily squirmy and my thoughts just race all over the place. So even eating intentionally is my way of easing my way back into a meditative mindful practice. And by this, I mean not having any screens or TV with you when you eat a meal. I try to have one meal a day now without any screens and Often between chews, I close my eyes and I feel the food that I'm chewing within my mouth. I feel my tongue. I feel it touch my teeth and travel down my throat into my stomach. And it's it's a beautiful experience. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but I find that I eat much less. I have less digestive issues. I'm not as gassy after I eat, which I mean, even aside for that, I feel like I totally have digestion problems. I might have IBS. I don't know. Hot girls have IBS. (laughs) But I think it's just because I need more fiber and I need to drink more water and general physical health things. But anyway, but 
quite honestly, the past few days, I just have not been following my one meal a day mindfulness rule because I've just been like, whatever, I'm just so caught up in trying to do all my homework or work like while I'm eating. But I'm going to do my best to start it again. So we're, we're in it together. We can do it together. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is comparing ourselves to others. This is such a relative phenomenon because let me give you a strong example. Okay. When I was 17 years old, I mentioned this before, but that was my, I had a very bad mental health episode where I I was hospitalized and I lived in a residential home for about one and a half months. And for those of you that don't know, residential home is basically rehab for individuals that are mentally ill. There can be people there that struggle with substance abuse, but the focus is treating mental illness. Also, the center that I stayed at was actually focused on eating disorder recovery, but there was like two sections of the home where one wing was completely dedicated to eating disorders and the other wing was dedicated to everybody else, like mental illness and substance abuse. But again, it was mostly just treating mental illness. It's so funny because when I live there, I'm you lived in such a bubble. You're not allowed to have a phone. You're not allowed to really contact the outside world except through letters. Everything is taken away from you. You have to earn everything. Even my makeup I had to earn, which honestly I thought was really messed up. (laughs) And it like depends on your therapist. Like everyone is assigned a therapist. And I remember one of my friends, her therapist was just like, no, whatever, you can have your makeup. Like your therapist basically makes all of your decisions for you and you have to move up. I forget what they're called, but you basically had to finish a certain amount of treatment goals in order to earn the next level of freedom within the home. But anyway, my point is that I remember when I was there, I almost felt like I wasn't crazy enough to be there or mentally ill enough to be there because, again, all of my peers, we all struggle with mental illness And every single person there had their moment where they had a complete breakdown, but it was handled professionally by counselors around us. Sometimes we'd have to leave the building just so that counselors could help whoever was struggling with their breakdown at the time. And I remember talking to one of the counselors about this where I was like, I honestly feel like I don't belong here because I, I, you know, I mean, people were really struggling. (laughs) They were really, really struggling. I feel like nobody talks about the realities of mental illness and how intense it really can get for some people because it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. It is very sad. And for a lot of people, it is debilitating for most of their lives. And nobody wants to talk about it. They're really shoved into a corner. But Yeah, so I felt like I didn't really fit in, even though I was there because I was mentally ill myself. But I remember another girl also sharing this with the same counselor that I shared uh, my feelings with. And he was like, that's so interesting because another girl shared that with me too. And I was like, really? 
And it just goes to show like comparing yourself to others, it's all relative. Because now that I'm out of that place, it's like my peers now within the society and environment that I am within now, that's not the norm. So that's not what I strive to practice because it's just not the norm. But then again, because it's all relative, who cares? Just do what you want as long as you aren't hurting anybody and you're happy and you're taking care of yourself and you have purpose and meaning in your life with whatever you're doing or even if you're just doing nothing and going with the flow, just do you. Nobody cares. There will always be haters online. A lot of people are just negative to be negative. You know, everybody has their own stuff going on. And if people have anything mean or bad to say about you, it really has nothing to do with you at all and has everything to do with them. Like, for example, if someone were to call you ugly, it, again, has nothing to do with you because that's completely based on their own perception of what beauty means to them and that's usually based by societal standards and what everybody says, quote-unquote, is beautiful and that literally is different around the world. In some cultures, beauty is being super stick skinny. In other cultures, being beautiful is being big, bigger, and overweight or having a lot of meat on your bones. And in other cultures, beauty is having fair skin or dark skin. And it's just, there's no winning. There's no winning. It doesn't even matter. At that point, it's like, even if you do listen to what everybody is telling you to do and what to change just to fit their own narrative of what it means to be happy and successful and thriving or just their own nitpicky opinions of what you should be doing so that they can feel more comfortable with themselves or just their own projection of the insecurity that they have in their hearts like oh my god I totally I'm totally just lost my train of thought (laughs) but whatever I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say it's all relative and you are the only person that gets to decide who you are nobody gets to say that for you if people say otherwise it's just it's just a point of view their opinion is does not even matter because the only opinion that should really matter in your life is your own. And only when you do not know yourself do you easily believe other people's opinions of you and then you, your entire worldview is just based on what everybody's telling you to do. And it's not worth it. You will waste so much time living your life for other people. And as you get older, or this, at least for me, as I've gotten older, the years have just flown by. There will always be things that you wish that you could have done differently, but the biggest thing that if I could give young henna (laughs) advice, I would just tell her to stop giving a shit about what other people think, especially me in high school. Like, I'm like, stop focusing so much on everybody liking you. Like, it really does not matter in the end. You're going to leave high school and you're going to look back and it really won't have mattered. All you're going to remember is the way that people made you feel in terms of the way that they've touched your hearts. Really, the main thing that I remember from high school, the most meaningful things I remember from high school are 
my peers who were kind to me, who reached out to me, who I laughed with, who I shared joyous moments with. And there's a lot of those moments that I didn't get to create because I was so afraid of what people would think of me because I just wanted to fit in. I mean, this is typical adolescent thinking. But still, I really didn't even have anybody in my life to tell me that at the time. I really felt like I was solo in high school. I It was almost – and I went to a boarding school. So I lived with most of my classmates, which quite honestly can be very unhealthy <laughs> because it's just teenagers raising each other. I mean, we had teachers and dorm moms – but they have to keep an eye on so many students at a time and, you know, really you're on your own. For me at the time, it was actually a wonderful experience because I did not like my home life and it was such a relief for me to be released from that. And I was like, I'm so thankful that I'm here because it's giving me a break from this constant turmoil that is festering inside of me. But, you know, most of the people that I talked to that went to the sporting school mostly didn't have a good experience or at least even after they left it still lingers with them the negative experiences that they've had just being an adolescent on your own living by yourself at that time and adolescents raising each other it's 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 a lot it's a whole thing sorry guys i feel kind of frazzled recording this episode and a little bit unfocused and i think it's because I have been trying to post a lot on TikTok. If you don't follow me, please do. Begin again with Henna. Um, anyways, I've been trying to post a lot on TikTok and Instagram. And there was one post that I posted today and I received a hate comment or like a transphobic comment really. And even as soon as I saw it, I was just like, Psh, whatever, like who is this person? You know, social media by itself, it comes – with people being haters for literally no reason. People will literally just be negative to be negative. They will find a fault in every single thing and nitpick every single thing just so that they can get out their negative opinion there because they're so unhappy with themselves in their own life and they just project. You know what I mean? But And even though I know that and even though I'm aware of that sometimes and I'm I really do try to brace myself for potential hate comments that I will receive because I know I will get them. I can outrun them. Everybody has hate comments. There's not one social media account or at least like a big or small one that you will ever see without even like no hate comments at all, you know. And I always tell myself, I'm like, if I get a hate comment, that means that I've made it because <laughs> every influential person that you can think of even like Beyonce for example even Beyonce has haters that's what I tell myself to get through it I was like Beyonce has haters it's okay people just say what they want to just project and it's fine but yeah I received this transphobic comment because in my caption I mentioned I just mentioned that I don't prefer cis men nothing wrong with them I just don't prefer like dating cis men and someone was just like it's just men like not cis men don't blah blah, blah. I forget even what they said and although it was just like oh whatever like forget it it's I don't know it's still weighing on me a little bit and I just want to let it go and move on because it I just I guess comments that are transphobic or homophobic are just harming even indirectly speaking negatively about 
people dear to me that I love and cherish myself, I think those comments affect me more. I mean, there was nobody in my video that I posted um, for them to have said it directly to that person. But still, I'm sensitive to transphobia myself, especially because I have attended trans support groups and I've just seen the pain that transphobia has caused the trans community and it is so heartbreaking. Like go through so much pain just for wanting to exist and for embracing their true selves and when they finally have the courage to embrace who they really are, they're just received with all of this ignorant, stupid criticism and all of these comments that just don't make sense. I'm like, literally educate yourself. Like their keystone argument is always about science and about biology. And there's literally science <laughs> backing up the legitimacy and validity of being a trans person. And that alone just demolishes their entire argument. It's like Anyway, I'm just ranting now. If you're trans and you're listening to this, I love you. Thank you for being here. I see you. And it takes so much courage to embrace who you are and live authentically. And I admire that so much. And I think that is like one of the most badass things that you can do. Even in general, embracing who you are, doing whatever you want, not giving nf i'm trying not to cuss on this podcast not giving an f about what others think so you can do you and live a life that you will cherish and not regret is just the best thing that you can do so yeah i think that comment just kind of frazzled me because i'm just like you don't even know what that comment means like you have no idea how much harm that comment causes an entire community of allies and trans people, even like the queer community, it's, there's just so much trauma there, you know, it's, it's so sad to see that people still think so ignorantly and just do not educate themselves, <laughs> but let's move on, different topic. This week, or just really in general, the past few weeks, something that I've been annoyed, not really annoyed, or just kind of overdoing like I'm overdoing this action. Not like I'm doing it too much. Gosh, I can't even I can't even explain myself properly. Something that I'm tired of doing, there you go, is shaving. Like I like having no hair on my body, but I hate the process of shaving because it takes so much time. And now I'll just get so many ingrown hairs now when I shave and it's such a nuisance and oh gosh, first word problems, am I right? But then again, like even by itself, then I just think about what the conversation around shaving is, especially for feminine individuals, females, or just literally just the feminine community, right? Shaving is almost forced upon us. It's seen as something that you automatically should do. Like you don't really have a choice to shave or not shave. Like, I mean, you do, but if you don't shave, then you're just met with so much criticism and then you're told that you're unhygienic and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why is it unhygienic if a feminine person doesn't want to shave? But if a masculine person <laughs> doesn't shave, then it's not unhygienic. It's just normal. Like, what the heck is that? That's what a double standard. I think that's so ridiculous. But see, and nowadays I 
shave once a week now, but I'm so hairy. Like my hair would, will just grow back as soon as right after I shave. But yeah, nowadays I've just kind of been shaving once a week. Even then, like the reason why I still like to stay shaved is because I feel like I'm feel more – I'm so used to shaving and I feel more comfortable with shaving and I feel like – I don't know. I just feel stinkier in my underarms. Sorry, this is totally TMI. But yeah, my underarms just – I just sweat a lot <laughs> and it's been a problem. I cannot use normal deodorant. Like I have to use clinical deodorant because I sweat way too much for my own good and it's just so easy for me to get stinky. So I'm like it's very – it's just much easier for me to shave <laughs> there. I really admire people that or just feminine people really or anyone that chooses not to shave and just embrace their body hair as it is because I think that's so badass so I feel like I've kind of been doing that a little bit where now I'm only shaving once a week because before I used to shave every day but it's a journey you know just I just hate that there's such a double standard and I don't know maybe in the future I'll just stop shaving and let everything grow out but for now I feel more comfortable shaving. I just need to find ways to not get so many ingrown hairs. <laughs> if you have any tips, let me know. I find that when I don't use shaving cream, it's so much more harmful, I guess, to my skin. Like I feel like I get more ingrown hairs and it's more irritated. But okay. Yeah, maybe in the future I'll just get laser hair removal because I do not have time to keep shaving all of the, all of the time. Okay, story time. Story time moment. Are you ready? The first time I ever shaved, it's kind of a sad story, but it's okay. <laughs> oh, little henna. The first time I ever shaved was when I was in second grade. And like I mentioned, I'm very hairy. I used to have, I, the first thing, the first kind of hair that grew on my body when I was little was arm hair. I had a lot of arm hair. I was very hairy. And I remember there was one time at lunch where I forget what we were even doing, but this one boy just called me out and was just like, whatever, hairy arms. And everybody started laughing. And I was like, what? Oh, no. So then that day I went home and I shaved my arms. And ever since then, I've always shaved my arms. And <laughs> which is so sad. Like, it's so important to be kind, especially when you're young. Honestly, I feel like I, I used to be a teacher for kids. I'm not accredited or anything. Just a disclaimer. I'm not an accredited teacher respect to those teachers out there that are accredited. Your job is so undervalued and you are extremely underpaid. But anyway, I used to work at a kid's center for like two and a half years. I love that job. I love working with kids. Even in the future, no matter what career I end up doing for a long time, I just have to work with kids somehow or even volunteer. But anyways, I find, I find that it's difficult to teach kids or I mean at least what I've seen in schools like they always will just say don't bully anti-bullying school blah 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 but they adults never really at least when I was young they never really taught me why that was important they just said don't bully because you have to be nice to people and it's like okay why because when you're little you're still figuring out the world and the reason why kids bully so much is because they don't know themselves they don't fully understand how their words affect people so they will just say whatever to feel better about themselves and boost their own ego and they don't even understand their behavior or their actions so it's so much easier for them to bully but I saw this one reel that 
basically show of this teacher teaching her students about how your words can affect people and it was so beautiful basically what she did was she held up a sheet of paper and she asked the class to say something mean to the sheet of paper so let's say one child was just like you're stupid so then she crumpled a little part of the paper with her hand and all every student in the class took turns so she just did a little crumple on their paper for every mean thing that everyone said and in the end the paper was all smushed up in this ball and then she opens it up and you can see that the paper is wrinkled and she's like do you think that this paper can go back to the way that it was and the class said no and she said exactly just like this piece of paper your words affect people and it stays with people for the rest of their life and that's why it's important to be kind because you just never know what someone is going through and I felt like that was such a beautiful way to teach children to be kind. I wish I had that lesson when I was little. I mean, thankfully, I wasn't too mean as a kid. I'm sure I had my mean girl moments. Definitely in high school, I had my mean girl moments from me being a little insecure teenager and loving the movie Mean Girls way too much and me wanting to be like the plastics, lol. My gosh, how cringy. But (laughs) I wish that We had that lesson when I was little, but I love how the ways that we teach children to be kind are evolving. I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, it's so important to explain to children why they should practice certain behavior. Because even when I was being raised, like a lot of adults would just tell me what to do. And sometimes I wouldn't want to follow it or I would, but it, it... didn't stick with me even if it was positive behavior it will not stay with the child unless they truly understand like even if for example you're telling them like no you shouldn't play in the sand right now because you're about you're like you're eating your sandwich so don't go play in the sandbox and it's like well why and if you just say because I say so then they're and even if they listen to you they won't fully understand why that is the case but if you tell them like No, the reason why you shouldn't play in the sandbox right now is because the sand will get all over your food and your hands are dirty and your hands will transfer germs to your sandwich and then you are going to eat those germs and then you can fall sick and get a tummy ache and blah, blah, blah. You can just, you can explain it to them. You can speak to them like little adults and they will understand. And I've seen the way how children have grown just by being communicated to effectively Especially like I've seen this with my professor. Shout out to you if you're listening to get to this. She listened to my podcast and I love her so much. She's so cool. I won't drop a name just because I want to be respectful and keep this anonymous. But basically, I've been around for the birth of her two children and I've seen the way she's raised her kids because I've been her babysitter. But the way she explains to her kids how to express their emotions and the importance of verbalizing their emotions and explaining to them why certain positive behavior is important and how it will impact them and their lives. I've just seen, especially her oldest daughter, she's grown up, she's only three and she is so emotionally intelligent for her age and she's able to, she just has such profound diction that I I'm sure I didn't have at that age. Like she's able to to explain her emotions to me so clearly in ways that I can understand. And she 
speaks to me like a full conversation. It honestly blows my mind. It just shows the effect of intentional parenting. It's it's just so important. It's so important. And that's also why I definitely want to work with kids when I pursue my full-time career, whatever it is. I still don't know. I'm teetering. I don't know. That's for another episode, another time we can talk about. But it's because it all starts when you're a child, especially like I'm a psychology major. This is the main thing that we learn, right? Everything that you are grappling with as an adult, or most of the things were established when you were zero to five years old. You know, those are the prime years of your life. And it is so important to speak to your child intentionally and kindly and teach them ways to speak intentionally and kindly and why it's important to share and be kind to other people because it will stay with them. It will stay with them. They will remember what they remember when they grow up is the way that you've made them feel and the way that you've guided them through life. I've also seen a lot of parents, whether it's online or through my friends or family or something, like use the narrative that or like they'll say, well, the world is tough. So I'm preparing them for the world by being tough on them, aka just being emotionally, verbally, or even physically abusive. And it's like, if the world is so tough, then why are you being their first bully? Like, then you should be their safe place. It's like, yes, the world is tough. Life is hard. Death is easy. Life is hard. Life is so much harder. So it's like, why do you want to be their first bully? Why are you giving them another, just another reason to feel bad about their existence? I mean, it all starts there. If you have a positive relationship, with your parents when you're young or even just a family member or some kind of figure that will be consistently in your life, some adult figure that will, it will just really determine so many things about a child's future success and the relationships that they choose, the kind of career path that they choose, or even the way that they speak to themselves. I mean, most of the self-talk that you have now is influenced by the way that adults spoke to you as a child. So if you heard a lot of negative things about you when you were young, for example, if your family or your parents always told you that you didn't look good enough or you were too fat or that, man, I can't say some of the things that were told to me when I was younger because I really, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or overshare here. I mean, I do overshare, but I'm trying to be intentional about the things that I overshare. But basically, if you're told these things when you're little, you will grow up and continue to believe those things, especially because they are the first thoughts that you were taught, you know. And if you're always told that you were stupid, then you will grow up always believing that you're stupid. And it's definitely possible for you to outgrow that and leave behind that way of thinking, but it is so much harder. And it just speaks, it literally explains minority groups and even just women and the way that people behave among society. Like there's a, it, there's a word for it. I forget. You know what? Let me just Google it really fast. Hold on. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's taking me way too long to try to find it. I literally opened my old psychology lecture slides from a previous course that I took just to try to find this term, but I forget it. 
if I find it, I'll bring it up later in a different episode. But basically, it's this generational trauma that's carried, right? Especially among minority groups. For example, like women. I'm just going to make up a scenario here, right? If you're told from the time that you're young that you are less than men, you are not as competent as men, you will never achieve as much as a man, you are not destined to to do anything that a man can do because you just can't do it. And if you are taught this from a young age and you grow up and whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you will internalize this belief and it will affect the decisions that you make about your future. And there will be a lot of opportunities that you will turn down just because you believe that you can't do it because you were taught that you couldn't do it. And I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about like any minority group or just any individual really. But then when you look at minority groups and generations, because they were taught this way of thinking, they pass this way of thinking on to their children and their children pass it on to other, to their children and it keeps going. And it can just speak volumes of how words affect people, how cultural belief affects people and self-opposing beliefs is other word, I don't know, just beliefs that go against yourself and your own liberty simply because they were taught it from a young age and that's all that they know and that's the only reason why they won't let go of it. And that's just, that is just not what life is about, or at least to me, at least with my personal experiences of people within my life and them holding on to those notions because I see how much it has disadvantaged them and how many relationships they have failed to maintain simply because of outdated way of thinking that they refuse to let go of because they're afraid of what other people will think of them. And they will take that to their grave. You know, you cannot change people. The hardest lesson I've had to learn, I feel like I'm always learning this (laughs) in my relationships, but it's that you cannot change people even in romantic relationships or parental relationships, no matter how many things you do right, you may do everything right on your end and you may put 102% of effort on your end, but that will never be enough if the person within that relationship does not want to reciprocate and they don't want to change, like all of the effort that you put in, it's not going to change people. If they don't want to do it, they won't. If they wanted to, they would. And sometimes, very sadly, people hold on to beliefs that don't serve them and don't serve their relationships simply because of fear of what other people may think, and they just care about looking good. And it's very sad because then it ruins the only real relationships that they have. And it is truly their loss. If you have put in everything that you could in a relationship and they choose not to reciprocate back. And again, I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm even talking about parental relationships with friends, anybody. It's just, you cannot change people. You can't. You should never have to beg for anyone 
to stay in your life or to value you because you are just too hot for that shit, okay? (laughs) You, there is so many people out there, and again, I'm talking about romantic relationships, friends, anyone, family, chosen family that will just yearn to love you and cherish you as you are. You just have to reach out and find them. And quite honestly, when you focus on yourself and your own healing, they will come to you when you least expect it. I have always found that the best relationships in my life have always come to me when I weren't looking for them, but I was making an intentional effort to work on myself because if you want if you want people to compliment you, compliment yourself first. If you want people to shower you with gifts, shower yourself with gifts first. You know, feed your love languages first because only then will you learn who you are. Only then will you take steps in intentional healing for you to be able to easily filter out people that are not worth your time. You know, and that's on period. (laughs) Gosh, I've started saying that and I feel like maybe I'm too old to say that. I don't know. I'm 24, you guys. Am I too old to say that? Whatever. That's on period. I'm just saying it anyway. Oh, gosh. Anyway, I'm totally going off tangent from my script here, but whatevs. I think what I'm saying is still valuable and a lot of what I'm saying is just me saying this to myself, right? I feel like all of the lessons and wisdom I drop in these episodes are things that I am constantly learning because healing is not linear. And even at times when I have felt like I have done all of the work that I could do on myself and I feel so happy and fulfilled in my life and like I'm on a path towards consistent upwards growth, I, you know, things will happen in my life that will just show me otherwise and show me that healing just isn't linear. But then again, I feel like I'm in a place in my life now where I have found how important self-acceptance is no matter where you are. Like, I think past henna was just reading so many self-help books and sometimes even that is not good. Too much positivity is not a good thing. At a certain point, it becomes toxic because then you just tell your brain that there's something wrong with you if you're constantly trying to work on yourself. And it's okay to just let yourself heal and do nothing. It is so productive just to do nothing. And the reason why at the time it was so hard for me to do that was because I was doing this leadership program that was quite honestly very toxic. I think I've mentioned this before, but they were very much all about hustle culture but in ways where they would be like no sleep is just a conversation you don't need to sleep like you you know if you sleep you're just wasting your life and you're not doing things to move forward in your goals and blah 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 and I just think that's such a horrible way of thinking like it really it's then you just build this foundation on a paper ladder that is waiting to crumble you know I have found with my own goal setting and other people, if you just try to jump into something right away all at once, even if you're just like, tomorrow I'm going to start my fitness journey and it's going to start with me 
going to the gym every single day or like going to the gym five times a week, like now, like I'm going to start it now. And people may do it. They may start and they may do it for like two months. You know, some people can keep it going and it's fine for them. But most people, they will stop after even after the first week or after two months or five months completely and just not go for six more months because they didn't pace themselves. You know, pacing yourself is so important. The best thing you can do for yourself is to move slowly because when you move slowly, you embrace every step of the way and those steps become solid ground for you to step on to completely move forward. And that's why it's so much more productive to move slowly because if you move fast, like you're going to end up right back where you started at a certain point because you didn't take time to appreciate every single step and understand the importance of every step and being intentional with every step. You know, and I, I again, I found that with myself and my own goals. Like it just there's so much power in moving slowly. So if you feel like you're being unproductive some days because you do nothing or you just feel like there's feel, your feelings are too overwhelming or like you just need to slow down, it's okay. You know, you can't rest. You know, resting isn't just laying in bed and watching TV or taking a nap or doing face masks or going on walks. Because you can do all of that and still not be completely resting if you're speaking bad to yourself the entire time. Like if you just feel guilty the whole time about moving slowly. Because you will continue to feel exhausted if you do those things and still speak negatively to yourself and resist the process. Like that's not healing. That's not healing. It's it's counterproductive. It's not allowing you to just be where you are. Radical self-acceptance is peace. It is just accepting yourself wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're feeling, and just embracing that it's okay to exist. It is such a beautiful thing that you exist, and it is okay to feel dramatic or feel so sad that it's debilitating and you can't do anything else but lay down and you can't get up and go brush your teeth or even eat food or or use the restroom. I still have those days. You know, there was a time and, you know, like I said, healing isn't linear. There are times in my life where I've done that almost every day and then I'm able to pull myself out of it and then I go back to doing that almost every day and now I'm at a place where it happens maybe like two times a month or something. But I feel so much better about my healing and my growth now because I'm finally in a place in my life where I'm just letting myself be and move slowly and just accept where I am. So now I can wholeheartedly say that there will be times in my future where it will not happen for me as often as it's happening now and it will most likely not return to the way that it was even a year ago where it was just happening for me pretty much every day, you know, so debilitating. And I mean, even if it does come back where I'm doing it almost every day, it's okay because now I know that all I need to do is just just be. You know, even in this literature program that I did, it was so toxic, you guys. They would just tell me like, literally the way of thinking was just like, 
oh, you're depressed, just get over it. Therapy isn't real. It's not helpful. And this leadership program is the only way I have ever known people to pull themselves out of a rut. And if you're ever feeling depressed, just yell at yourself to stop. Just yell at your thoughts to stop. And like, that's the solution. And I'm like, that is not the solution. (laughs) It is just not. Don't do that. It is like stabbing yourself in the wound with a knife and twisting it. It is so counterproductive. It is okay to move slowly. It's okay to feel your feelings. You are worthy as you are and nothing can change the fact that you are a gift. You know, there was this fact that I learned the other day that was so beautiful to me. Maybe it's kind of stupid. I don't think it's stupid. I feel like, I mean, I think about it a lot ever since I've learned this, but the chances of you being born is equivalent to the chances of winning the lottery 1.33 million times. Just let that sink in. <laughs> 1.33 million times. Let alone liter- winning the lottery once is what, like 2% of people do? I don't know the actual statistic. Don't quote me on that. Don't come for me if that's not actually it, but it is extremely rare to win the lottery, let alone winning it 1.33 million times. That is virtually impossible. That has never happened. It, it just seems like it could never happen, but yet here you are. Here you are being born. And some people will be like, well, whatever, like people are born all the time every day. But if you look at the process of birth and what it takes for a sperm to meet the egg and to form like a baby. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's like the universe at a smaller scale. It's like, if you just zoom down and look at this process, everything about life can be revealed within this small, tiny process that we easily take for granted. Okay. Let me move on to my script here. Let's look at (laughs) where I'm at. Cause I'm just kind of talking here. We're going a little long here, so I'm just going to try to end this episode with a question from Michael. Thank you, Michael, for sending in questions like every week or every time I post it on my Instagram story. I'm so thankful for your constant engagement with this podcast, and it is so, so cool. Um, If you guys want to send me questions, you can always DM me on Instagram at beginagainwithhenna. Those are pretty much all my podcast handles, begin again with Anna on Instagram and TikTok. Um, You can always DM me and occasionally I will post on my story little, what's it called, like the little question sticker things to send me a question. So please do. I love to hear from you. Let's have a conversation. I just, it would be so cool. Okay, anyway, he asks, (laughs) what are some good study techniques and how do you stay focused while studying? Okay. So for a long time, I was such a stan for the Pomodoro technique. And for those of you that don't know what the Pomodoro technique, it's basically intentional studying with breaks. So the most popular Pomodoro uh, format is studying for 25 minutes straight and taking a five-minute break. But that personally doesn't work for me. Like, I mean, I used to I used to do the Pomodoro technique religiously, but then I found that I would just end up studying through the breaks anyway. But now I do the Pomodoro technique if I'm studying with friends or if I just really don't want to study at all. 
and I need to get myself to do it and I'm and then I'll do the Pomodoro technique because I'm just like well then it's okay because I'm creating breaks for myself anyway um, what I usually do is I like to study for 45 minutes on and then 15 minutes break there are so many videos on YouTube of timers pomodoro timers or people doing the pomodoro technique where you can study with them i did study with me videos for such a long time too it just i felt more motivated studying with someone else even if it was through a screen because i felt less alone and like we were doing it together i used to listen to study lo-fi music but it just puts me to sleep like it's harder for me to focus quite honestly with lo-fi study music i in my last episode i shared study techniques or study tips and I mentioned that in my memory my psychology of memory class I learned that the best way to retain information is to study without music but that doesn't apply to all subjects but like for sure if you're trying to read something like an article or a textbook then music can be really counterproductive because it can be more distracting like it's just extra stimulus for your mind to even like even if it's just a little bit, like your mind is still focusing on that a little bit and it diverts your full attention from the material that you're actually learning. But if I do put music on, I always put on lo-fi house music, like upbeat music because then I feel like such a badass when I study with house music. It gives me so much energy. It kind of feels like coffee for my brain while I'm studying and it's much more, it gives me more mental stamina. So I really recommend lo-fi house music. Something else is that when you, or at least every day, I try to set a clear outline of which specific tasks I want to get done for that day. You know, often I can't complete every single thing, but if I can do most of them, or at least just some of them, then I'm satisfied. I try not to put very general guidelines for myself, like Say, for example, I have to study a chapter in physics. Like right now I'm taking physics. If I just put study chapter 24, for example, then it's much harder for me to like study the chapter because then, or at least just chunk it down in ways that are more productive for me because say, for example, one chapter has like seven sections. Like realistically, I can't do all of those sections in one day or like maybe I could, but that's not the best for my own long-term, like for me to retain the information long-term. It's better to spread out the information that you're learning because that is how you build your long-term memory about that subject. So say, for example, like again, like study chapter 24, then I'll do like two sections of that chapter every single day. And say, for example, I'm like, okay, I want to read the textbook and I have homework problems. And I'll be like, okay, I'll read two sections of the textbook today and do three homework problems because then I'll see like the due date of the homework. Let's say, for example, the entire homework by itself is like 17 questions or like let's say 12 questions and it's due in six days. Then I'm just like, okay, I'll do two questions a day or I could do three questions for four days. Like I will break it down evenly. So I'm doing a certain amount of work every day and that is the most effective way to study, at least for me. Like I found that it really works for me because again, it's best for long-term memory retainment. Um, so to some, to summarize, have a clear outline of what you want to complete each day, but get specific about your list, Pomodoro technique, 
again, you can find videos on YouTube of studying, for example, 45 minutes and 15-minute break or even studying 50 minutes and a 10-minute break or studying 25 minutes and a 5-minute break. Using lo-fi house music, if you do want to listen to music, do not listen to music with words. Like, it's just, it will not help you stay focused. Uh, don't watch TV while you're studying obviously. I mean, sometimes I do do that. You know, we've, I'm definitely a culprit of that. But every time I do, I'm not fully focused. I only try to do that if what I'm doing is more tedious and like not as, doesn't require my complete attention. Another thing is keep changing your location while you're studying. Again, I mentioned this in my last episode, but if you study in only in one place all the time, if you, for example, study for an exam in your room and then you go to a different location to take the exam, you will not do as well on the exam as you would have if you were to take that exam in your room because the environment is different and your brain just processes the unfamiliar environment and it will not, like your retainment of that information will not be as good. So try to mimic, so, or at least study locations change infrequently and when you take an exam and when you study create some kind of consistent environment so that you can boost your retainment and your recall when you do take tests or do your homework like for example chewing gum or burning a certain kind of candle like a certain smell of candle when you study and when you take the exam it's definitely it definitely works last tip is it can be very easy to want to study all night or study for much longer than you need to, I really recommend setting a specific time each day for yourself to stop doing work. I find that my days feel so much more fulfilling if I know that there's an end time for me to let go of or at least just stop working and just enjoy my evenings. Like, Sometimes, usually for me, I try to tell myself like, okay, stop doing any kind of work or studying at 8.30 p.m. And then the rest of the evening is mine to enjoy like doing dinner or chores or just watching TV or self-care activities before the next day. It will make you so much more productive the next day because then you will focus on trying to get more done within the limited amount of time that you have set for yourself so that you can look forward to a relaxing evening. Yeah, those are all my study tips. The last thing I want to say is that I recently changed my desk. My last desk, it was so annoying. I hated studying at my desk just because it was so small and I would dread studying in my room, but uh, I don't know why I just didn't bring my desk from my mom's house in the first place. But recently, I moved my desk from my mom's house into my apartment in my room and I'm so much happier because it's so much bigger and nicer and actually, I can actually um, put my microphone on the desk because I have a little clamp that goes on the desk. For with my last desk, I couldn't even clamp my microphone on it. So I couldn't even use my microphone properly and it was so annoying. But I basically, I got my new big desk. I decorated around it a little more and it is such a game changer. Now I'm so much more inspired inspired to do work like to study like usually I would just study on campus all day but now I have a space that I've created in my room for me to do work and study here and I feel like I'm so much more productive and it is a complete game changer I 100% recommend I don't know what the heck took me so long to bring 
my desk that I actually like into my room because it's just I'm so much happier like I feel so much more comfortable in my room I feel like it's important for me to try to redecorate every now and then because not doing so feels like I'm just creating all this stagnant energy in my room and then I associate my room with just feeling stuck because I mean I will have like my depressed days and whatever within my room and so it's important for me to shift the energy feng shui if you will but it really does help I mean see a lot of my decorations that I have now are so old and I'm trying to get rid of them and redecorate but at least I've put up some new things and even that alone even the small differences have made me feel so much more inspired to want to do work within my room and I feel so much more at home like it's so important to create a safe space for yourself to come back to at the end of the day because you deserve a safe space. You deserve to feel comfortable and calm and just it helps so much also with just my anxiety. Like I feel much less anxious in my room and I feel more hopeful. It can really do wonders. I really recommend decorating your space and your desk in a way that will make you feel motivated and inspired to be in your room and to feel creative and calm. You deserve that. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Begin Again with Hannah podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a rating and respond to the little question sticker telling me what your favorite part of this podcast was. I'm so thankful again for you listening and for you being here. I love all 20 of you <laughs> that listen that I have listened or that have listened so far. Um, if you haven't already, please follow the pod Instagram, begin again with henna and TikTok. I post little vlogs on TikTok. So if you want to check that out, please do. And I will see you in the next episode. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye.